The following podcast contains explicit language. The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Amami. On this week's show, we're talking the new season of The X-Files. But first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673 or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. I'm here with Vulture TV columnist Margaret Lyons, TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz, and we also have a guest with us this week, film TV critic and Vulture X-Files recapper Keith Ulick. Hello. Hi, Keith. Thanks for being with us. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. How were all of your snow day weekends? It was a good time to catch up on, like, you know, Project Runway Junior, hey. which is secretly so good. I love it. But they, they keep making the challenges only one day, which feels really unfair because those kids are just, like, too frazzled. I got a lot of writing done, and I also, being snowbound with my 11-year-old son, um, I began to develop my own version of Cabin Fever, which is looking around and noticing how messy the apartment was and enlisting my yeah. son to help me clean it up. Oh. And and uh, within a few hours, he was like, he called everyone he knew, can I go over to your house? <laughs> like, yeah, but there's like 14 inches of snow on the ground. I was like, I don't care. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wrote my first X-Files recap, which is now nice. live on... On Vulture and uh, watched a Ho Shao Shen movie. So <laughs> very cool. I I watched Barry Lyndon myself, and I had never seen it before. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs> Some say it's the one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also just remembered I watched an episode of Jeeves and Wooster, and I'd never oh, that's such a good I'd never show. seen it before, oh. and I had no idea Hugh Dancy was. So funny and adorable <laughs> back then. I mean, I could Im- I'm only imagine, but it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't really hear it as now very as much. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the theme music to that thing is an earworm oh, yeah. too. Mm. Totally. My name is Fox Mulder. Since my childhood, I've been obsessed by a controversial global phenomenon. Since my sister disappeared when I was 12 years old, and what I believed was an alien abduction. My obsession took me to the FBI, where I investigated paranormal science cases through the auspices of a unit known as the X-Files. Through this unit, I could continue So the X-Files returned Sunday night for a six-episode, 10th season. And Fox aired a two-night premiere, Sunday night and Monday night. And we're recording this on a Monday right now, so people have only seen the first episode. And it seems like there is a bit of a divide in how people felt about it. Why don't we go ahead and start with the first episode? Because the first and the second episodes are very different. And in the first episode, we it's kind of a setup episode. We're reintroduced to where Mulder and Scully are now. And kind of the larger framework is that Mulder is, has theorized that there's an elite group of men who are behind all of this alien activity that they've been following for all of these years and are now planning to mm-hmm. use it to take over the U.S. and then 
the world. Which was sort of first floated in season four and five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was weird yeah. to me. It was like, I have a new idea. And it's like, that's not a yeah. new yeah. idea. Yeah, which, I mean, that's the show for me. And I, I like that. <laughs> I mean, we can get into the reasonings behind the narrative. I think, you know, as I said in my recap, of Matt referred, I, I mentioned Matt's review. And, you know, he called the narrative like three card Monty. And I, I said, for me, it's infinite variations on a theme. You know, and if you kind of cater to that as I yeah. do, then it's real. I think it's cool to go through the the mess of the narrative that way. But it's certainly not. It's not Breaking Bad in the sense of like you know Vince Gilligan. I think took a lot of what he learned on the X Files and kind of honed it into the writers' room as you know brain trust. And Carter is more. You know, he doesn't write a show Bible. He likes you know just spontaneity, which sometimes leads him down good paths, sometimes down not so good paths, and. But that's what he wants to do, and that's kind of an outmoded form of storytelling now. Sure, I, sort I think of if you're looking for any kind of very direct forward momentum in a story, you're like, don't look at the X Files for that. Right. Um, I think it does, and I say this as someone who like loves and reveres the X Files, and it's like a like precious show to me. Like it's a desert island show for sure, but uh, hmm. that's not what it's very good at, and has hasn't been. That was never its calling card. Yeah. Um, and there th- are yeah. threads certainly that move forward clearly, but many threads that just not so much. Yeah, and I think it's not really Carter's interest, frankly, that to, to do that. It's yeah. certainly not something he's good at. I don't think he's temperamentally inclined towards long-form serial storytelling that that locks into place and becomes clear. You know? Right. I think, uh, yeah. well, you know, whether or not I he's... I have a theory, but... <laughs> whether, or not he's, whether or not he's doing it on purpose, as they say, is a bit open to debate I think right and he kind of cultivates that persona where if you watch him talk he he's very aloof and well he acts you know. very definite and, and I remember from my days at the Star Ledger in the 90s um, I talked to him at press tour every year or two something whenever he would come out for whatever reason they would do like you know not just the new shows but refresher pro panels for existing shows and they always had the x-files because oh, it was God. a big it was a big show and uh <laughs> And Carter always had this guru-like vibe to him. Like he was like, you know, somebody, I remember a friend of mine out there called him the uh, the Dennis Wilson of science fiction. Like he had that sort of savant sort of, you know, demeanor. But I never really entirely bought this idea that he had it all in his head. And I always wondered if, you know, and like I don't think anybody really does when they're writing a show. No. And it's funny you mentioned uh, Breaking Bad because Vince Gilligan... Does does well? <laughs> uh, see, but no, but, but not. But yeah. he doesn't. does. But not. He doesn't. But I mean, like more... he he he. You know, one of the eye-opening things about Alan Seppenwall's uh, book, uh, "The Revolution Was Televised," was reading about how much of Breaking Bad was just pulled out of their collective asses. Well, yeah, really? you know, and, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they would they would deliberately. It's almost like a puzzle. They would do something because mm-hmm. it was outrageous, ridiculous, and how the hell are we going to get out of this? Just to see if they could get out of it. Right. That's just if they. Could, that's the they gun can, in the trunk. Right. Exactly. They can. Right. You know. They can pay exactly the gun in the trunk in season five. And that's not a metaphor. Yeah. Like it's a, yeah. like that's they absolutely did write the gun in the trunk without knowing yes. the specific origins. The, yeah. yeah. And that's they said, killed they off knew... the twin. They killed off the twins. Sure, in season, but they knew. Whatever, I think three. there was a much clearer arc of. You know, these are sort of specifics that that were not planned out, but the sort of like this is the forward progress of the show, and it will eventually end um, in Walter yes. White's death. Like, I think that's pretty right. Like, once you have that kind of roadway, sure, the path meanders. Um, right. But I, you know, it's a little different than something as open ended as other 
you know, dramas of its time. Right. Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah. Also, I also think Gilligan, if you've listened to, and he does a great podcast with their editor, Kelly Dixon, um, on Breaking Bad and on Better Call Saul, if you haven't heard it. But they talk very transparently about the creative process behind each episode. And he's just very transparent about every little decision that went into it. Carter is not. Carter likes to obfuscate, like... Every, every everything he says is, you know, I don't really trust. The most honest thing he ever said was a very early interview where he said, "I'm kind of a treacherous character myself," and he is. You know. Do you? What do you think the point of a six episode? series is for Mommy? this show you know like is it is resolution <laughs> wow. sorry is that too crass no but like, like i wonder is resolution on anyone's mind who's making this show do you think or because like what oh i've had nine no. seasons two narrative movies. no absolutely not right no i mean he's no he's going to keep it open uh nauseam like because such a small like you know it seems like a very deliberate number well, well yeah i mean part of it is that you know the money thing is true in the sense that mm-hmm. you know it's it's a business deal. It, it's kind of it, you know, brought about because of the renewed interest in '90s properties and also shorter season orders, which attracts a lot of different people. But they also had to work around, you know, Duchovny and Anderson's schedule, and six was all that fit. They had a seventh actually that they, I think, had been written um, from a new pair of writers, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but they couldn't fit it into the schedule. I still think, you know, I think there's still an artistic impetus behind it because as long as Carter's involved, I mean, I'm always kind of there. And I feel like if he keeps feeling like he has things to say and he can do it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. Oh, me I too. I don't know. I don't know that, that many, that so many others will be, but you know, we'll see, I guess. I mean, it was trending big it on Twitter like last it. night. Yeah. So, you know, I also still feel like the X-Files does its thing better than its imitators have ever mm. quite been able to do. Without and, a doubt. Yeah. And who would you say are, have been its biggest imitators? Jesus. House Abrams. Lost. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, lost Fringe, right? Yes. Never, and, and, you know, the 46 or so shows that tried to be lost, which, you know, were like try, in turn the, basically trying to be a show that the, wanted to be the X-Files. The Ain't It Cool time. News critic who was not into the X-Files at all ever, like wrote yesterday that it'll remind you of how, it'll remind you of how great Fringe was. And and then ended with like and the funny episode, the Darren Morgan episode that's coming up is really silly and nothing compared to what's happened on Ash versus Evil Dead. <laughs> and, what? and I was just kinda like, Wow, there's someone who should not be writing anything <laughs> about this series <laughs> at all. I mean, I think also, like, in addition to all of its like sci fi and and sort of genre fiction imitators, I think most opposites attract buddy cop series are like, you know, I'm thinking of Bones, obviously, and then certainly mm-hmm. um, Sleepy Hollow, which sort of s- straddles that cop thing versus and, um, and genre fiction stuff. I mean, obviously, X-Files did not invent um, buddy cop drama, like, certainly. Mm-hmm. But I think some yeah. of that, um, the will-they-won't-they they aspect of it, the sort of how diametrically opposed we have our, like, how opposite are our opposites attract kind of people. And then the sort of us against the world model, which I think had fallen out of vogue for a lot, in a lot of (laughs) ways. You know, even if you look at other cop shows of the time, say, NYPD Blue or Homicide or something, which, again, very different. They're not buddy cop shows. But the we don't have the same feeling of we're the only people who understand and everyone else is is wrong, right? There's not that sense of... um, Mm. Even though you and I have differing views about how the world operates, we are in on a huge secret that other people are not privy to. So that's, I think, mm-hmm. some of those things. And then any kind of real um, kind of crazy wall show, right? I feel like a lot of those like psychological thrillers, the um, 
put the pieces together? How close are you paying attention? There are mm. episodes of Homeland that to me are super X Filesy oh, about totally, like totally. how corrupt is the government? Whom can you trust? Yeah. Um, if you are a officer of the law and you are renegade, what is the responsibility that your federal law officers have to protecting you? Like all of those things that to me read as super super X Filesy, you know. They're also part of a continuum that stretches back to Kirk and Spock on the original Star Trek. Sure. Like, I feel like that's, in a lot of ways, that might be kind of the the origin point for a lot of their relationship. Do you think the show is still um, really good at, like you said, it was the best show of this genre and handling these kind of themes of um, surveillance and government spying and all of that. And, you know, Chris Carter said recently in a Vulture interview that so much of what they had talked about on the show has come to pass now. And yeah. now that we're watching it where it's it is a huge part of our culture does it feel fresh still or does it feel too on the nose what are your thoughts on how it is handling it now it's impossible for it to feel fresh because so many series have come along and borrowed bits and pieces of it as we've discussed like that's just not going to happen but there is still a an energy to it that is unique and it comes out of who who makes the show like who's on yeah. the show who writes the show who directs the show they this is a band the basically the old band is back together and it's a good band it's a good band you know they're they're a little bit older now than they were the last time they recorded but they're still a good fucking band they're really good i was talking about this with keith uh a couple days ago but when i wrote that review of the first episode no other episodes have been made available to the right. press. Yeah. I had to write that for the magazine, which has a longer you lead time. You fucked up, Fox. Well, that was very strange I because know. that very first strange. episode was out there for a long time it with was. all of us being like, what and, is this? And, it was a baffling and, decision. And, and, I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> if, if I can touch on that because sure. I feel like I want to. You know, the reaction to the first episode has been fascinating to me because, you know, it premiered at Cannes. Yeah, in, mm -hmm. for like the exhibitors and stuff. And I mean, the reactions out of there were ecstatic, though I didn't trust it really because I was like, well, they're exhibitors. Of course, you know, they're going to see it in the Lumiere. If you've ever been in the Lumiere in Cannes, it's like gigantic and just like overwhelming. You yeah, think I'm most sure... of us have not had, yeah. had, have had that yeah. Well, well it, 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 it's lovely. Yeah, it, it's a, it sounds good. It, it's, a, it's a lovely theater and it's like big and overwhelming. And so I'm just like, okay, well, anybody who sees that there, it's going to be like, Ugh. you know, and then the Comic-Con screening happened, you know. Like I, was there for, I was there for that. Which I was not, you know, a few yeah. months later and that's and and the fans really seemed excited but you started to get the kind of you know more middle of the road reviews which i was like okay this seems more like the reaction that's going to hit or whatever but then the trade reviews came out and i swear it was like the george lucas rape my childhood tone of a lot of them oh which is kind of like, you're overdoing no it. i'm not overdoing yes. it no i'm really not overdoing it I there was a big the, I, I didn't get the impression that anybody was saying it was like uh, I mean, maybe I'm not reading the right people, but I didn't get the sense that it was sacrilege. What I got from it no. was, and and I felt, okay. a, I felt a degree of this. Yes. Um, it felt like that first episode was made to be shown in the room at Comic-Con. That was my objection to it. Like, rather than dropping us into this world, you know, right in the middle of things, which is something the X-Files has always been good at, it felt a bit too much like a... Um, Everybody gets a, everybody gets an entrance that you uh, have time to uh, you know several seconds to applaud. People use catchphrases which you're supposed to applaud. I'm not saying there was no charm to it, and I'm not saying there were no fresh elements to it. And mm -hmm. I quite like Joel Ma Joel McHale's character. I do too, and I hope they bring him back. I believe um, they are. However, it definitely felt like a throat clearing. You know, come on in, take your shoes off, look around the house, see, get get familiar. This is the house that you remember. It didn't feel like a, a standalone, um, fully satisfying episode of the X Files in the way that, say, episode 
too yeah, good. Yes. And even more so episode three, which people haven't seen yet, so Ye- I won't go into too much detail. Yes, but that. what I'm but what I'm talking about is like the reaction I was seeing and, and the and the kind of arc of that. And, you know, I think to think to try and read the Fox publicist minds, I think they were reacting to the relatively positive reactions that were coming out of Cannes and Comic-Con. And then when the trade reviews hit, they released the next two episodes as damage control. That's my conspiracy theory. Oh, I think you're right about that. You know, I mean, and and I mean, it was just it was fascinating to me because it seemed like a lot of the trade reviews just had this edge to it where they were calling it the worst thing ever. And I'm not saying there's nothing to criticize in it. There's plenty to criticize in it. And I did get into some of that in my recap, specifically yeah. the scene on the porch between Mulder and Scully, which I think is off performatively until the end, of when Jillian, I think, nails the last line of that particular scene. What are you doing here, Scully? Mulder, you hang up on me. I don't hear from you all day. You're on some jag about the X-Files. I figured it out. It all makes complete sense. All these years, we've been deceived. I don't know what you mean. I couldn't call you because it's going to sound crazy. That's why I'm here, Mulder, as somebody who cares about you, as somebody who's worried about you. All right, just listen to me. No, you listen to me, Mulder. Scully, you got to trust me on this. I have seen this before. You're on fire, believing that you're onto some truth that you can save the world. This will finally be their undoing. It'll be your undoing, Mulder. This is my life. This is everything. This is everything I believe in. You want to believe. You so badly want to believe. I do believe. I believe that Tad O'Malley is right. This is not an alien conspiracy. It's a conspiracy of men. Tad O'Malley is a charming man full of charming BS, no, Mulder. woke me up. How do you know he's not playing you? He's a player. He's been a godsend. What are you talking about? The truth is out there, Scully, and Tad O'Malley's going to broadcast it. Mulder, listen to me. As your friend and as a physician, you are on dangerous ground here. I know what I'm doing. Is everything okay? Yeah, everything is okay. She's the key to everything. Sveta is the key. You know what you're doing. And the way she looks at Mulder, (laughs) and you can just see kind of like the way her face like drops, and it's jealousy, kind of kind of a romantic jealousy, but romantic in the sense she that she realizes he's back to this obsession with the quest, and 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 she says that line, you you know what you're doing, yeah, and just the way she says it, it's like I mean I was like okay, we got through the awkward moments. And now you found the characters again. It really does feel like an actor finding the character kind of scene to me. And mm-hmm. then they do, you know. So you... It's, it's funny how it's like now that you describe it, I'm seeing like there is there is a sense in which the relationship between Mulder and Scully is a relationship. It's like what it's like to be friends with an addict. Yeah. Oh, you know? right. Like there's a lot of It's a lot more that. apparent now than it was. Mulder's then. insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. We're on the side of a, a fucking insane person. <laughs> you right, know what, I mean? right. what do you? How do you see their chemistry now? I mean, do you think that we should be looking for chemistry between them at this point? I did find their chemistry to be sort of like weird and off. And, and you know, when they first get back, they see each other sort of on that intersection. It was like, that's your reaction. That's the way. That's the face I make when you like bump into an old coworker who like <laughs> you don't know. Right. It's like you guys knew each other extremely well. You have a very rich, deep history. You know each other in ways that no other person could know you. And Mm. and that's how you look at each. I don't know. I just it all felt a little stiff to me. Um, I think there certainly like became moments. And I think, as Keith mentioned, sort of like when things like loosen up a little bit and we get a little bit um, 
more I don't know like maturity from them but it so much of it just felt like brittle and flaky and false to me. I, I just mm. I didn't. It felt like it was written by somebody who was not really associated with the X Files, but knew the show pretty well. Yeah, there was like there's... there was something that was not quite in it. It was an incredibly you know lifelike I mean. simulation of the X Files. Yes, yes. That's a line from Millennium, actually. Mike. Yeah, oh, there you <laughs> go. Right. Love... We, we got to do a podcast about that, that someday. That's, I mean, that's yes. a great show. But um, I mean, I would just say for myself, I agree with you in terms of like again the porch scene, which unfortunately I think is probably one of is the key scene of the episode and is awkward in a lot of ways and I wish it was stronger frankly um but as far as the rest of it I mean you know when they first meet uh I just thought back to I want to believe the second movie because there is a very lovely conversation in that they have in the locker room where I think basically the relationship comes to a precipice and you can it could go either way at that point and in the second movie I feel like it leaves them in a kind of limbo where it, you know, they could stay together, it could go the other way. And then there's just all this passage of time that Carter just says, well, I'm not going to tell you what happened there, but, you know, they're going to show it, you know. And, I mean, I guess in your case you feel they didn't show it. I felt like in the um, in the opening scene I, I did sense that, and I just connected it back to what had come before, and I felt, for me, I was able to fill in the blanks, you know. And I found I've been able to do that with a lot of the Carter mythology stuff, maybe just because I'm attuned to him as <laughs> and his and his quirks, shall we say. But, but I guess you know. when she calls him, it's like, okay, if their relationship had been so severed at the end of the second movie, and mm-hmm. I took the end of the second movie to being they were going to part ways. Um, okay, yeah. uh, Calling somebody that you like are not together with anymore and you're not even friends with really anymore and mm-hmm. you have this weird history. You know, we didn't get that weird sense of like, Ugh, I don't want to make this phone Looks call. It's like calling an ex-husband or an ex-wife. It is exactly that. Point. And yeah. and yeah. so so to see Scully just be like, well, got to make a call. And then it's like, oh, I guess they're fine. And then seeing them together, it's like, are they not fine? Uh, yeah. I, you well, know, part of me is like, look for clues. <laughs> but I, I was like, there's I, no clues. I, yeah. I just wanted to say something though about the tone of this first episode. I wish, I so wish that they had made the first three available because I would have had a completely different reaction to the first yeah. one. Which Again, is not to Fox, say that it, fucked up. Which is not to say <laughs> that I would have liked the first one more. No, I know. But yeah. I would have right. appreciated the first one in relation to the second and the third because what they demonstrate when you see the three of them together is the incredible variety of tones that the X-Files mm-hmm. had. Because that first one is, although it has a little bit more humor than a lot of mythology episodes do, it's a mythology episode, so it's very, it's, it's very serious, pretentious in some ways. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Dark, grim. It's like the end of the fucking world is nigh. And then the second episode is your classic uh, scary monster episode. There usually There's mm-hmm. like scary monster episodes, and there are quirky monster episodes. Mm-hmm. And this is a scary monster episode, and... and uh, it's nasty. Like, it's really, na- like, skin-crawlingly, David Cronenberg-y nasty. I mean, yeah. some I mean of episode violence. two is definitely body horror it's in a really, way that... It's really, it's some ugly, yeah. ugly shit. I mean, and I mean that as a compliment. Like, there are several <laughs> points where I'm, like, kind of covering my eyes a little oh, bit. Oh, the letter opener opening oh, is pretty... Oh, God! The fucking yeah. letter so, opener! So yeah. It's great. And then con- we get to the third one, and we're into whimsy, because it's Darren Morgan. <laughs> yeah. But, so, it, no, the second episode, just to contextualize it, is... The it opens with this man who kills himself, Doctor Sanjay. Yeah. Doctor Sanjay, he's yeah. hearing these high frequency noises that he can't get out of his head, yeah. and some sort of commands. Yeah, it's saying get get the data, go now, you know. And he goes into this like mm-hmm. you know computer mainframe room, and then like you know can't stand the noise anymore, and takes the letter opener and goes. 
back, you it's... know, as 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 the X Files could only do. And know? I like when they take when they take the letter opener, which he when, which Scully removes the letter opener from his ear, and it's I so long. And I was gonna say it's like twice as long as the width of a human head. Yeah, yeah. like it's like an optical illusion. It's like she's pulling that freaking thing out for like it feels like a like a minute. What kind of letters is that for? Holy shit! Well, and I think I think the X Files could be encapsulated by one image that's in that autopsy scene, which is when they're both standing in front of the translucent the translucent X-ray uh, image, and you see Mulder and Scully, you know, kind of like very seriously talking about it. But on the screen is the guy's is the X-ray image of the guy's skull with this letter opener, like yes. <laughs> jutted into his brain. And I'm just kind of like looking at that, like this is horrifying. It's so fucking funny. I it mean, is funny. Yeah. You know, and funny. I mean, I mean, that's kind of like you know the essence of of what the X Files could do, or one of the many essences. I mean, I'd I think say, that's so. one of the things that kept the show as interesting as it was for as long as it was interesting, because. Mm-hmm. We talk about this a lot for other shows. We're just like getting the same exact thing every time is boring. It is boring. And, uh, the X Files, I think, is able to weave in so many different kinds of tones, so many mm-hmm. different kinds of premises, um, and can be very self-referential. There's a lot of in jokes uh, yeah. in some episodes. Yes. This third episode coming up has a lot of in jokes, but it's certainly yeah. not the first episode to have many in jokes. That is common throughout the show. And then there's also episodes that are very sad, like really genuinely mm-hmm. like sad and tragic. Beyond the sea. Yeah, and some that are, One breath, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, you want to, like, rush to the internet to figure everything out and, like, crack all these codes. There's yeah. a lot, there's, like, definitely something for every, well, not everybody, but all cool people. Uh, <laughs> like, well, it's also beautiful lot... because it's like they've got this premise, you know, it's like the people who make the show have this thing that they can paint. And they can paint it, you know, in the style of Rembrandt, they can paint it in the style of the French Impressionists. It's always the X-Files, but the tone, the coloration, the texture right. can change so drastically from week to week. And it can be really goofy. And and I yeah. think... Or really, you know, kind of dark. There are times when it's kind of strangely uh, sexy. Yeah. And not just because of Scully and Mulder, just in general, the way it's Oh, there's definitely like an eroticism to and, many episodes. And, yeah. And, and if I may, I mean, I think your point about making more than one episode available would have been best because it would have reminded people what the show was, that it yes. doesn't fit into the point-by-point point serialized narrative thing. And it, and it never will because this is its formula. You know, and I think possibly a lot of people might have forgotten that. And just seeing the one episode out of context, you know, I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying yeah, I think yeah, you're, yeah. I think you're absolutely right that you ne- you wouldn't necessarily have liked the first episode more, but seeing it among the others would right. have. The you three know, are a nice representation of all the things of that the of, show ev- can of be. every Except kind for of me, tone because yeah. the first one was so far and away worse than the other two. It made me mm. almost angrier and hate it more because then it's like, yeah, oh, no. it's not that you forgot the steps of the dance. I just had to watch the warm up, right. right? And it's like, well, I. Like fuck that! Like there I was a little bit of like you're leading with this, really. Right. So it's like, oh, yeah. okay, yay! Like my heart is full because there's a better episode and then a genuinely good one, and I'm really psyched. But knowing that it was still capable of that, it's like you had a very long time to <laughs> well, put this but together. It, it, Why did we come out with such a misfire? Well, well, it is still capable. It is capable of that, though, and and that's again like bringing back to to this idea of the variety of the X Files. That's what I love about the X Files, and. We've talked a lot on this podcast. You don't love that it sometimes sucks. Come on. No, you know, but what I love is there's a potential for um, for it to be so radically different from week to week and for it to be this storytelling laboratory where they sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay. I mean, not that, you know, the only thing that Louis has in common with the X-Files is that. 
that they that oh they can that they can they, they can do whatever the hell they want. Stretch. Oh my god! I know <laughs> you heard my you heard my spine <laughs> popping as oh, I said it. Wow! No, seriously though, but that's something we talked about. Like the the one thing that I think every really great show has in common is that of the modern era is that from week to week you don't know what you're going to get. Like you think you have a general idea of what you're going to get, but from week to week. It's always capable of surprising you, and there's sometimes where they just throw a curveball straight at your head, and you got to duck. I, I, I mean, I feel like I need to pop in here and say I don't think the first episode is bad. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know, and I don't know how to quantify that, but I feel like I need to, except to say maybe in part read my recap. But uh, you know, I, I don't know if it like w- is it a distaste for mythology for you, Margaret? No, or is I it like just mythology like... episodes in general. I guess I thought. So specifically the stuff with Mulder being like, I finally understand. It was like, what the hell? That all seemed really off to me. All the stuff mm-hmm. about like, Sveta's finding the link. It's like, why? That didn't make sense. I thought all of the Joel McHale mm. stuff was completely bizarre. Like, he's mm. so rich from making a web series that he gets a helicopter? Like, I, what is that? I did like, I did like the, dueling, uh, the dueling paranoid monologue scene with him and Mulder, though. Yeah, I like yeah, that, too. I guess yeah, I just... I, I didn't love the writing in this I episode. just thought the writing no. was so... Like, there there was no mystery to the writing, and it was just so, so beating you over the head with, like, get it, get it, get it, conspiracy stuff, get it, conspiracies, pay the bills. Well, it's like, is that even true? It's hard to see where this episode fits into all the different no, categories we, we were talking and we about. Won't and know. we won't know until the end, right. which, I mean, then again, it, it might still... Not or then we or we won't. <laughs> no, I mean no, I mean that's the thing. I, I'm I'm absolutely one hundred percent certain we're ending on some kind of cliffhanger or oh, something. Sure. You know, there's there's no he's not he's not gonna there's no he's, end in he's, sight. No, he's not, honestly I don't think he's ever gonna finalize it. I just hope that, you know, I feel like for me the second movie, if the second movie had been the last thing, the last image of Scully in the operating room not I like the fan service, kind of like them on the boat post credit scene. But, you know, I think her in the operating room at the end, I would have been happy if that mm-hmm. was the last image. I would just love, like, even if this is a cliffhanger, I'd love it to be, you know, if, like, they're, like, looking up at the sky and finally there's, like, a, a UFO and they're just both staring up at it together. And if it just ends on that. as That'd if be the great. As if oh, the, I love as it. If the inv- down, and then Scully says, that's a weather balloon. <laughs> that's a weather balloon. <laughs> Yeah, or, or, or like, you know, they see it and then like an alien comes out of the light close encounter style and they just both, they all just have like this moment or something, you know. <laughs> I'd love to have just that moment because the image of Scully in the operating room at the end of I Want to Believe is just so potent to me and so cinematic in how Jillian and the camera and everything in that last sequence just interact together that that to me would provide the, I hate this word, but I'm going to say it, closure. <laughs> that, you know, so many people demanded. I don't think narrative closure is ever in the cards for this show. And, and I, think I, it would don't be, think... I think it would be a bad idea if they ever tried to give it to us. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that the show would end on, like, da-da-da-da-da-da. Hey. Like, okay, well, that's not... <laughs> I don't think anyone wants like that kind of closure from the X Files. If I thought we'd get, (laughs) I think a lot of people do. But I don't know. I don't think that. Oh, read some message boards. (laughs) I mean, the the thing about X Files fans is that there's all there's all stripes. You know, like you you get people wanting completely different things out of the show and wanting you know Mulder and Scully to. Be together or, or not. being really ve- vehemently against that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, my my favorite message board post. I really have to set this in in, yeah. in oral stone. I was reading a message board a few years ago, and there was a, I think it was no, actually it was during season eight. And the guy got on and said, "This show sucks. It hasn't been good since season one." 
and here he was, season eight, still watching every episode. The food is terrible in such small portions. In such small portions. And I was just like, wow, if that doesn't encapsulate kind of like some of the worst side of the fandom. Well, that that brings me to, so we haven't ever really talked about the X-Files on this show before Hmm. this episode. And I want to talk a little bit about classic X-Files and what, what what is the best season in your opinions? Do you think that any one season could? For me, two and eight. Okay. Um, and I say that because they both Wait, have... also, if you could just see the way Matt and I... Just <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Keith, and I have been, Keith and I have been having this discussion since at least I know, but as I, re- as I recall, yeah. you started season eight, thought it was ridiculous at the, at the start, and never watched it. Now, I don't know if you watched it no, all. No, I, but... I bailed out on it at the beginning, and I did finish it up. You did finish it up. However, okay. but um, I must say that my my attitude towards that last season changed as a result of a conversation that I had with you, which I have quoted many, many times, and I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. here. But basically, I was talking about how I felt like The X-Files, even though it probably went on longer than maybe it should have, and a lot of television shows that's true of... Um, I don't entirely blame it for what I perceive to be its flaws because there were so many extra dramatic issues. There were fights over money. Sure. There were battles over, you know, they, they moved the show to L.A. Um, I remember when uh, Duchovny was not going to come back um, because they were not meeting a salary yep. demands and all this. I mean, I'm, let's not rehash all that. But you said to me something along the lines of that the drama that surrounds the show is also part of the drama. Right. That, that that part of the excitement of watching an ongoing show is how do they respond to these things mm-hmm. that, that life throws in their way? Like somebody, a major cast member dies or goes into rehab, uh, the showrunner switches out, they get their budget cut, they move to a Friday night, whatever. How do they deal and, with that? That's also part of the drama, yeah. which I think is true. Well, and I also have to point out with the showrunner thing, because now we're kind of in the age of the showrunner where they're basically the celebrities of the shows now. But... Carter staying through the X-Files, like he stayed through the whole nine seasons, which at that point was extremely rare. You know, because like I say, David Lynch left Twin Peaks, Michael Mann left Miami Vice, Whedon left Buffy for the last season, came back for the finale and such, you know. Carter, I think there was a brief window at the beginning, before season nine started, where he was negotiating things and Spotnitz wrote a lot of the first two episodes. But then Carter is credited, he came in and did his, you know, big rewrite and stuff. So I still consider him part of that. And so for me, that kind of like focuses the show very much through his perspective in a way that a lot of shows at that time, until I would say probably The Supreme kind of really started to set it in stone that the showrunner was there beginning to end you know was it was kind of a unique occurrence yeah I think Chris Carter was probably the first like showrunner I ever read interviews with because mm-hmm. right? I think I was probably I was in I guess middle or high school when the X-Files started and yeah. uh, that was not commonplace even no. for somebody who was obsessively reading you know Entertainment Weekly and TV Guide and stuff like that like this Having being able to say, I know I can name the creator of the show and I can name episodes by writer. Yep. That was unusual at the time. And I think yeah. the X Files really straddles that time period from sort of the pre auteur era into auteur era of yeah. considering the showrunner to be the voice of the show and the sort of creative engine behind what, the show. What was lovely about the X-Files though for me too is that you could really look at it through many auteurist prisms. You could look at it through directors. I think if a Rob Bowman episode is not a Kim Manners episode, is not a David Nutter episode. Cinematography wise, the John Bartley years look very different from the Bill Rowe years and I think they kind of like, you know, make things different, you know, v- very different. They have different strengths and weaknesses and such. Carter as a director is another way you could look at it. Sure, Carter like, is a think, director. We think it was a writer 
writer and the showrunner, right. no, but, but he's, a, he may be the most technically ambitious of all the directors in terms of the experiments maybe. that he tries. Yeah, although, I mean, you know, then I'd... He, yeah. It's like he whenever he gets behind the camera, he's Hitchcock yeah, maybe, doing rope. Yeah, know? well, I mean, Triangle, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a fantastic episode. And also the black... That, but, uh, Prometheus is his, too, right? The, uh, black the and white postmodern one. Prometheus, yeah. Post-modern yeah. No, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, so, I, I feel like I have to come back to the two and eight thing and justify myself, but, okay. you know... Uh, <laughs> it's a safe I, space. I, I just... Well, I, I mean, <laughs> just justify it in the sense that, to me, both those seasons are the most narratively propulsive. You know, two, because of Jillian's pregnancy, and so the Scully abduction plot line and everything kind of really pushes things through that series, especially in the first, you know, half, I'd say. And then, you know, with Colony and Endgame and the Anasazi Blessing Way paperclip thing, it's like, it just, whoa, you know. And then for me, Seven is, and I put this in quotes, the worst. I don't mean, I, I like it a lot, but it just feels very wheel spinny to me. Because, you know, they've, they've end the syndicate art in se- arc in season six, and then seven is just kind of like, oh, now what do we do? Kind of making it up, blah, blah, blah. Then it's like, oh, shit, Duchovny's gone. What do we do? You know, and they bring in Robert Patrick, who I think is great on the show, and it creates a whole other kind of really icy dynamic, and that just pushes, and eight just feels like it, it moves like a motherfucker to me. But anyway, I mean, yeah, my, my justification for two and eight, funny enough, because I keep saying, you know, don't focus on the plot as much, everybody. You know, I feel like story-wise, those just, Propel. My favorite. Well, my favorite. So. My favorite seasons is The Sopranos, probably are one and six. So I oh, there feel, you go. So I feel you. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I mean, nine is of course a, a, a one that people hate a lot, but I like the air of finality that kind of hangs over the final episodes. I, I feel like finally they realize that they're going to end, and you know, you, I think I can sort of sense that in the last run of things, and I and I and I like that. Yeah. You know, and you may not like where it goes, but I. Again, I, I, I feel like I, I kind of respond to that sense that I guess what you're talking about, Matt, the outside sense of things, you know, playing on how people are approaching the show, whether <laughs> you ultimately think it works or not. Yeah. Any favorite episodes you guys would like to call out? I mean, Postmodern Prometheus is really high on the list for me, even yeah. though there's like a weird rape current to it that I find really off-putting in modernity. Um, at the time, I... I either didn't notice or didn't bother me. Small Potatoes is really high for me, too. Yeah, um, that's a great one. Mm. Uh, Bad Blood. I mean, it's sort of like it's such a cliche to be like, the best episodes are my favorite episodes. <laughs> but I really I really like those episodes. I love yeah. anything. Um, I like when they have like weird townies. I think the sh- X-Files does like a really good <laughs> yeah. job. Of, like, they go to a small town and, you know, mm. the people there are not necessarily creepy, but all have like a weird vibe. And they're, yeah. I think they do a very good job of having very clearly articulated deals for very small characters. And I think yeah. that's in a lot of other shows where we have our main people visit other places. Whoever has the clearest deal always did it. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think yeah. the X-Files does a good job of that not being the case and that on Humbug, everyone has... Season 2, episode 20. Yeah. Sure. Everyone has, like, a thing going on, and it's not clear until very close to the end who is actually, a, like, what is afoot. And until yeah. they do the big reveal, there we've met many people who have uh, mm-hmm. something going on and seem quirky and odd and have a personality. And I think, you know, being able to be that generous with character development is, is one of the things I always really like about the show. I feel like I want to, you know, do some of the more unsung ones and two that leap to mind are season one from season three called Too Shy um, with uh, this actor Timothy Carhart as Virgil Encanto a uh, studier of medieval literature who likes to meet women online and then eat them 
or, or like d- digest them with by by throwing up his you know his bile his bile or that's whatever what he, like, it is like stuff and throws yeah. in the corner yeah, yeah. right yeah. my mom used to accuse yeah. our cat of being um him. and uh, <laughs> that, that's a David Nutter directed episode I think it was written yeah. by Jeffrey Vlaming who was a season three writer I think he ended up on Hannibal um and uh, that a lot had, of crossover oh, that's on so that creepy. show yeah and that, oh, that's such a creepy one and that uh, and that has like my favorite shot of the series which is the end interrogation between him and Scully and. Uh, I think it's he, he quotes like a, an Italian line to her, and then he translates it: "The dead are no longer lonely." And then Scully goes out the door, and and the camera does this like really quick whip pan back to Encanto and like extreme close up, just glowering at the camera, and it fades out. And I just fucking love that. Um, and the other one uh, from season eight uh, is Badla. Um, the little Indian man, the legless Indian man who crawls up inside people and devours them from the inside. Yeah. <laughs> I think mm, that lovely. I, 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 <laughs> well, you know, I think <laughs> that that was no, that's fine. It was kind of high on my list because I think where it comes in the series too, it's like ju- right before Mulder comes back from the abduction experience, and it's Scully really trying to be like him, and she realizes at the end that she can't be. And it's also playing on these kind of ideas of, you know, westernized prejudice and such, you know, that that I really find fascinating. Um, you know, like if you're looking at a little diminutive Indian man, you can shoot him. But if the Indian man suddenly changes and he's like a, a young white teenage boy, you know, you can't do it. And and it's and that's kind of like it creates this weird tension that I think was kind of working its way through a lot of John Scheiben episodes, and he's one of the writers who fans tend to hate the most. Um, and I always feel a little sorry for him because I feel like he keeps trying things, and I feel like in Badla he really gets that, you know, uh, the racial angle he's kind of explored in other things, it really comes together for me. So those are two, like, unsung ones that I particularly like. One that really yeah. stuck with me was Ice from season one. Oh, yeah. That's oh, a good yeah. one. Oh, Ice that is one. amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen the show as consistently as you all probably have, but that one... That kind of tension in this, this is the one that takes place in the North Pole, I believe. Yeah, at a remote icy yeah. station. Yeah. The tension kind of in this enclosed space and also this kind of distrust <laughs> that Scully has towards yeah. Mulder that, you know, it's early on in their relationship and it feels yeah. like a real betrayal. Yeah. I and really like seeing that. Really great guest acting and by Fel- Xander, Xander Berkeley and Felicity yeah. Huffman. Yeah. So. I can tell you my two favorite moments from the entire run of the show. Yes. One of them is from Triangle, oh, and it's the and it's the and, and it's the and it's the split it's the split screen. Oh uh, yes, the, yes, the yes, split, yes, There's you know one of many split screen moments I think, but it's the uh, past Scully and present Scully are going down the same hallway, but you know one is angled frame right, the other frame left, and and the frame line is right in the in middle, center. and they pass through mm. each other at exactly the same time, and they both pause and shudder and look back as if a ghost has just passed through them. Yeah. That's unfucking believably great that yeah. moment, and then I would say the other one is in Clyde Bruckman's final oh, repose yeah. when yes, he, yes, when he's well, in the car and he says autoerotic asphyxiation, <laughs> and what does Mulder say? Like, why would you tell me that? Yeah. <laughs> also, another, oh no reason. <laughs> another great moment in that one is when Scully asks him how she's going to die, and he says, "You're not. You don't. You don't." I feel like we could maybe mention home. Oh yeah, oh, right. sort of one of yeah. the most historically like twisted. What, what is it about that one that you think sticks with people so much? I mean, it's there's fucked a, up. There's a legless, <laughs> armless, inbred woman under a bed. Well, I think it's. A, <laughs> yeah, but the I show does uh, some pretty fucked up things. They, well, yeah, but there's no science fiction element to that episode. Yeah, there's That's what makes it so disturbing. It's just inbred people who are deformed. I, I don't have the season four Blu-ray yet, but I hope they kept what was on the season four DVD, where they allow you to have the original audio over the open 
opening scene where the baby is actually alive as they bury it. Um, yeah, mm, yeah. So, like they have the the baby crying. Where they were they, in the broadcast, they had to take that out and just you know pretend like it was dead already. But well, and it's yeah, not supposed to. In be. terms of imagery, <laughs> there was nothing about that episode that was objectively more disturbing than a lot of the other grotesqueries that they had put on the show. But it was the implications of it, like the fact that like these are X Files monsters who well, could conceivably be down the street. Yeah, from but the wonderful, wonderful scene where the sheriff gets beaten, Tucker Smallwood and, and his <laughs> wife. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up and disturbing even now and I also think like that's one of the early entries into the upbeat song plays over brutal beating genre which Mm. to me now is very very tired (laughs) it sounds like I'm really over that as a thing but at the time that was more uh that felt a lot fresher. I think yeah. like one of the reasons that episode stands out so much is that it speaks to this idea that everyone in a community has a vested interest in keeping its secrets, right? And that right. whether you're the sort of person that is the the monster or whatever, or you're this person mm. living in a society that tolerates it, you all have like a real um, compelling to yourself reason to, to keep the status quo. And that's like, that's the darkness, right? Or the episode, the, the substitute teacher, science teacher with the snake who can channel the snake by holding the charm bracelet. The hand diver season two, go. episode 14, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know this show. Yeah. It might be 16. I, I, I think my production code you know, number you know, memory you, might you, be a little We're verging off. on <laughs> Rain Man here. You know that. Well, I, this is the show for me to be autistic <laughs> on, I guess, but, you know. Uh, go on, it's yeah. Mad Men. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's totally. Uh, mm. You know, same thing. We have one person is this, like, villainous sort of, can, like, parcel tongue, whatever, and mm. then... Everyone around is pretending to be really horrified by it, but also they're all like benefiting in some ways from like an ecosystem that protects secret keeping. Yep. Well, um, and that, and that's Kim Manners' first episode. And in too. that, and in that yeah. sense, you know, this is where the 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 monster of the week episodes become a microcosm of the of the larger mythology because yeah. you know, the mythology is also about that, like the you know, the vested interest in protecting the the secret, the conspiracy, the whatever. Mm. For the, you know, so that we don't have to change anything, do anything over, confront anything unpleasant, we can just keep going the way we were. Mm. Like it's so much of it's about covering your ass, not making waves, um, not getting in trouble, not getting written up, not getting fired. I mean like a lot of that a lot of the stuff it's incredible how often the Don't close the X Files again. Again, yeah. I mean but that's what it comes down to is we're closing the X Files. Why? Because you're causing us a lot of issues. Like we're having to fill out too much paperwork. That kinda I mean there's really mundane reasons a lot of times why they throw roadblocks in the path of uh, Mulder and Scully. Anderson has an amazing line where I think it's the end of season six where she just goes, Mulder, how many times can they shut us down? (laughs) And it's just like, well, honey, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) You know, does it all connect together? Not very elegantly a lot of the time, but yet I feel like David and Jillian, they're kind of the key. They really ground it. It connects enough. That's what I'd say. Yeah, I mean, but they're kind of like, for me, the grounding of it, the emotional grounding. I would like to make an extra textural request here. Um, I wonder if it would be possible to close the show with an audio clip of Keith's um, oh, no. Paley Center. <laughs> he conducted an interview of uh, Duchovny and Anderson at the Paley Center, and uh, yes. at one point he explained... Um, Season 9. He, he attempted to explain the mythology, in particular the role played by Magnetite. Yes. Jeffrey Spender, Mulder's half-brother, comes back... <laughs> With the, so funny about with, the shot, with the shot of magnetite that he gives him and makes him into a normal baby. <laughs> Are you good. serious? Yes, and then, and then you give the baby up for adoption. That is crazy. Magnetite. What? 
That is crazy What's shit. What's magnetite? <laughs> magnetite is magnetite is the magnetite thing. Is, magnetite is that thing that makes you go flying into the rock. Yes, yes. It's, Remember it's that guy? He's got a, and it just goes flying into the rock. It's the reason the smoking man is hiding out in in the Anasazi ruins. Because that phrase has lodged in my mind ever since I, I saw that because it's like, uh, you know, what the fuck is magnetite is a perfectly valid response. No, it is. A lot is. of the plotting yeah. on television and a lot of the events that happen well, in life. And, and a lot of the stuff in X-Files, frankly, but, you know, I still love it. <laughs> That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers and Keith Hewlett for being our guest this week. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. If you like the show, tell your friends and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Margaret Lyons, and you can find me on Twitter at Margin Charge. I'm Matt Zoller Sites, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Sites. I'm Keith Ulick. You can find me online at Twitter at, at Keith Ulick. Thanks for listening. 